Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Exodus, chapter 1. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Look at verse 12 again. The more they afflicted them, the more they grew, and the more they multiplied. Did you get that? This is a principle of God. This is a principle throughout all time and eternity. This is a principle throughout all of the scriptures. The more you are afflicted, the more you will grow. Now, I realize that this is certainly not a popular message. Because people are telling you, oh, no, Christians, they're not supposed to suffer. Christians should never suffer. If Christians are suffering, you must be in sin. You must not be believing God. You must not have faith. And they go on and on and on and on about Christians and suffering and affliction. Listen, the Bible is very clear. That teaching is false. That's another sermon. The Bible is very, very clear. The more you as a believer are afflicted, the more you grow. The more a person is persecuted or even a group of Christians, if they're persecuted, according to the principle of God, it won't hurt them. It will only make them stronger. You understand. Now we're going through the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, over and over, you cannot miss this. Over and over in the book of Acts, the more the church is persecuted, the more the church continues to grow. You can't miss that. We've seen it in church history. Caesar Nero, if you've been around here, you know this. Caesar Nero persecuted 16 million Christians hoping to stamp out the church. And Christianity and the church continue to grow. Someone once said, the blood of the saints is the seed of the church. The blood of the saints is the seed of the church. You see, God uses persecution and rough spots to cause you to grow. And it makes you usable. And it makes you go further for God's glory. You know, some of you golfers will find this interesting. Listen to this. When they first manufactured golf balls, they made the cover smooth. Did you know that? And then it was discovered that after a ball had been roughed up, one could get more distance out of it. And so they started manufacturing golf balls with those dimples in it. Isn't that interesting? Okay, you don't think so? I do. (laughs) In other words, listen, if your life is smooth, you're only going to go so far. But if your life has been roughed up, if you have persecution in your life, if there's affliction in your life, the Bible says you will go further. You will be blessed. 
Affliction brings growth. That's why James chapter one, verse two through four says this. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you might be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Persecution brings growth. I read this story to you some time ago. The church in China. True story. After hundreds of years of missionaries coming from the West to evangelize China, they yielded 800,000 converts. In the 1940s, after the Cultural Revolution, Western missionaries were kicked out of China and the church went underground. And they didn't have the resources, the surveys. They didn't have the plans to build and to grow the church. They were shut up in house churches in rural areas and under intense persecution. And many were killed and imprisoned and beaten because they loved Jesus. And when the doors for China began to swing open again, people in the West began to wonder, how did those poor suffering church China people, how did they do? And how did they survive? We were wondering, will there be any Christians left at all? They didn't have the money, the methods, the media. They didn't have the programs. And they had been persecuted. Well, in the 80s, we were shocked. Because when studies were done by Westerners on China, they found that as many as 100 million believers had come to Christ in those few years. And we wondered how they did it. The church grew in China under persecution, being beaten, being tortured, and underground, the church grew. Affliction causes Growth. Do not let anyone tell you anything else. And affliction, watch this, also causes holiness. Affliction causes holiness. Psalm 119 verse 67 says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Affliction causes holiness. I mean, think about this. When you're going through a trial, do you pray more? Do you? Okay, two of us do. That's that's the, okay. That's good. When you're going through a trial, do you? People come to church more. When folks are going through a trial, you know, I always know when there's trials in the church because it's packed. It's like everybody's going through trials or whatever. Nine eleven. Remember nine eleven? I was amazed. The Sunday after nine eleven, there was standing room only for three services. One month later everything back to normal. When people are going through trials, it causes, brings about holiness. You pray more. You talk to God more. People go through trials and they start making God promises that they know they're not going to keep. Amen. We all done it. But, but, but affliction brings holiness. So we notice here in the text, it's a very important principle in verse 12. The more they were afflicted, the more they multiplied and grew. Now look at verse 15. If you're in verse 15, looking at it, say amen. amen. Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, of whom the names of one was Sifra, and the name of the other was Pua. Now listen. Y'all know where I'm going. If you're pregnant, you're having a little girl, don't name her pure. I'm just telling, I'm just trying to help you. Kids are brutal. At school, that poor child, you'll send her to school. Kids will see her coming and go, here come, pure. 
I mean, her name sounds like you're like coughing up a loogie or something. I don't know. Anyways, verse 16. And, and so these two wonderful women. Hey, let me tell you this here. Sifra, you taking notes, means beautiful. It means beautiful. So their names are kind of weird, but, but, but they have nice names. I mean, they have good meaning. Sifra means beautiful and pure means splendor, splendor or splendid. And so he, the king of Egypt, that would be who? Amis, remember? He said, when you, talking to the midwives, when you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stools, if it is a son, then you shall kill him. But if it's a daughter, then you shall let her live. But the midwives in verse 17, what did they do, saints? They feared God and they did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but save the male children alive. And so the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, why have you done this thing and saved the male children alive? And the midwife said to Pharaoh, well, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are lively and they give birth before the midwives come to them. Well, therefore, God, that's a great answer, isn't it? I love that. Therefore, God, I'm going to tell you about that in a second. Therefore, God, how much time I got? Oh, I'm doing good on time. Okay, good. Therefore, God, in verse 20, dealt well with the midwives. Hmm. And the people, see it? They did what? Multiplied and grew very mighty. And so it was because the midwives feared God that he provided households for them. And so Pharaoh commanded all his people saying, every son who is born, you shall cast into the river and every daughter you shall save alive. Now stop right there. Give me your attention. When Pharaoh saw, get this, that the labors and the affliction wasn't working, he decided to cut down the birth rate. And so he told Pua and Sifra, he said, hey, when you guys see the midwives upon the stools, if it's a boy in Hebrew, snap their neck immediately, is what he said. He says, and if it's a girl, you shall let her live. Now, these are not the only midwives. Actually, there was a, um, these, these two ladies would actually be like, they might be like the president of the Midwifery Association or something. I mean, they were, they were like the, the big kahunas of the midwives. And, and, and they had a lot of, there was a lot of midwives in those days. I mean, it was a very, very common thing and a, and a common job. Now, in those days, when women went to give birth, they would sit on a round stone, which was actually the cleanest place to be. It was sit on round stone. You know, from time to time, I, somebody has a baby here at Calvary, and I'll have the opportunity to go over to Western Wake. Now, if you had your baby in Western Wake, that place is so nice. They, the birthing center, that place is like a five-star hotel. I'm like, man, I want to get pregnant and check into the hotel. I mean, I go with women are kicked back, relaxed. They got nice beds. They got stuff. I mean, it's like really, really, they got everything you need in there. I mean, that place is really, really nice. But in the Bible, they didn't have anything like that. I mean, they, those women didn't have anything like that. Even today in Israel, as a matter of fact, as we travel, and we've seen this, and if you've been with us, you know, you can see these Bedouin communities and these Bedouin people. And Bedouin women today give birth in the field and are expected to be back to work in the field an hour and a half after having the baby. 
American Indians. Check this out. American Indian women would be riding a horse pregnant. Stop, get off the horse, hold on to a tree, give birth to the baby, wrap it, get back up on the horse, and keep on going. You come a long way, baby. I mean, nowadays, you know, oh my God. Oh, I had a baby. I need four or five years off. I don't, oh. Oh, and you see him like, you know, 13 years later. How you feeling? Well, you know, I'm still getting over that baby. It's like, girl, get over it. Girl, you got issues. I mean, this is kind of crazy. I mean, in most cultures, you don't get the birthing center. You know, you get off, you grab hold of a branch. Say amen if you know what I'm talking about. You grab hold of that branch. Ah, yeah, it's a boy. Woo, I get back to work. What is that? It's amazing. Y'all really have come a long way. And so, <laughs> the king, <laughs> the king, of course, I know, I'm probably going to get beat up by all the ladies. They're like, you don't know what you're talking about. You're a man. What you know about having a baby? <laughs> so the king, he gives this order. And, and did you notice this? Oh, of course you did, because you laughed. But, but notice this. The midwives, did you see this? The midwives, they disobey the law. Did you notice that? The midwives disobey the law. Now, here's an example. Listen, we talk about it here at Calvary often. You are free to disobey the law of man when the law of man violates the law of God. You understand? You are free to disobey because God's law teaches the sanctity of human life. These women didn't care what Pharaoh said. They cared what God said. They disobeyed the law of man and they refused to kill the boys. Then the king asked them, why have you done this thing and saved the boys? And they said, because the Hebrew, Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are lively and they give birth quickly before we can get to them. Now, we don't know how true that is. Perhaps there's some truth in it because, I mean, let's face it, the Hebrew women were out working. I mean, the Egyptian women, they were home watching the Home Shopping Network, putting on makeup, watching Young and the Restless, you know. And the Hebrew women, they were out in the field working hard. So that is possibly very true. We don't know. And perhaps there was no truth to this at all. Perhaps they were flat out lying. We really don't know whether it was true, part true, whatever. But let's just assume. Let's assume that they were lying. Let's assume they were lying. What we don't want to do is we don't want to make the mistake of thinking that God approves of lies. God does not approve of lies. But sometime, now listen to me closely, sometime because we live in a fallen world, there may be a time when we are forced into making a decision that is, watch this, the lesser of two evils. The lesser of two evils. You can see the same thing with Rahab. Remember in Joshua, Rahab the harlot, she hid the Jewish spies who came to Jericho and she lied when the men came looking for them and she was rewarded. 
And as a matter of fact, she was rewarded so much so that she winds up in the line lineage of the Messiah. Not because she lied, because she wasn't rewarded because she lied. She was rewarded for protecting the life of the Jewish spies. That's why she was rewarded. You know what that teaches me and what that should teach you is our God is exceedingly kind. Amen, saints? And our God, that's right, is exceedingly, thank you, understanding. God really does know the heart. You know, we're quick to say that. God know my heart. God know my heart. God knows my heart. That is really more true than you really know. He really does know your heart. And God knows why these women were lying. And God knows why Rahab lied. But we can see God's grace and God is totally understanding. No, he does not want us to lie. But God does know our hearts and God knows sometime. And it's probably pretty rare. Let me just say that. Pretty rare that you'll find yourself having to have to lie. Say amen. I don't want y'all walking out here going, Pastor Roddy said we can lie. <laughs> Woo! Thank you, Lord. I've been doing that all day long, and I, now I feel better about it. <laughs> y'all running out here skipping. Woo! 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 I can lie. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying God knows your heart. Now, if you're just lying because you're a liar, Amen. Let's just leave that alone. Now, now listen close. I got, I got 11 minutes. Listen close. Listen close. Interesting. Very interesting thing. Think about this. The Bible tells us that we are not, listen close. The Bible tells us that we are not ignorant of Satan's devices. Amen, saints? And, and, and here we can get an insight into the working of Satan. Suppose, hypothetically, Truly, if God's plan was to deliver the world from sin, depended on the existence of a nation, Satan would obviously seek to exterminate that nation. If in fact God's plan is to deliver the whole world through a nation of people, then Satan's device would be to exterminate that nation. Don't you know that that is what Satan has always tried to do? Satan has always tried to destroy Hebrew boys. He always has. Anti-Semitism has always existed. It started in Genesis chapter 3. God said, through the seed of the woman, the deliverer would come who would bruise and crush the domain of Satan. And ever since Genesis chapter 3, ever since this was said, Satan has been on guard. A theologian by the name of Donald Gray Barnhouse called this the invisible war. And all throughout history, we've seen Satan's attack to exterminate God's people, Israel. You remember Esther and Haman. Haman made his gallows for the Jews. We see it in Bethlehem as Herod sought to butcher the babies. And who can forget Auschwitz and Dachau, the Nazi concentration camps. When we take our trip to Israel, we always stop at the 
Holocaust Museum, and they have since built another since my first trip there. It is the most gripping, telling thing I have ever seen, museum I've ever, 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 ever seen. It is certainly worth the trip to Israel just to go there. But we can see it's very illustrated throughout all of scripture and all of history that Satan has always tried to exterminate God's people. Satan has always had a hatred for the nation of Israel. And not only the nation of Israel, but Satan has always had a hatred for the church. Don't you know Satan is not your friend? Satan's not your friend. He hates you because you are part of Christ, the seed. You understand? So Satan has always been trying to exterminate Hebrew boys. Here we see it as early as Genesis and here in Exodus chapter 1. Now, if in fact I told you that the book of Exodus... Um, is a type of sin. And we'll talk about typologies as we get together on Wednesday night. We'll talk more about it. But, you know, I told you that Egypt is a type of sin. Egypt is a type of the world. Genesis, the word Genesis means what? A beginning. It means a beginning. Every person in this room has had a Genesis. Every one of us has had a beginning. We've all been born We've all been born into the world physically. But not every person, listen to me closely, not every person has had an exodus, a coming out of the world. Every person's had a genesis, but not every person's had an exodus. Not every person has been delivered from the world, delivered from sin. The Bible teaches that Jesus Christ delivers us from the old nature. He delivers us from the old life. He delivers us from the wilderness. He delivers us from our flesh and he seeks to grow us up and give us a new land, the land of Canaan. You see, only Christians can say, I've had an exodus. Amen, saints? Only Christians can say, I've been delivered from the world. I've been born again the second time into a new life. It was an exodus. You might remember Jesus said to Nicodemus, he said, you must be born again. Jesus said, unless a man is born the second time, he won't see heaven. You must be born again. Someone once said it like this, born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. What does that mean, Rodney? Born once into the world, physically, and you are never born again, you will die physically, and you will die spiritually. If you are born twice, you're born into the world, and then you are born again, you will die once. And that is physically. But the Bible says that you will live on forever. You will never die again. That's why it was so wonderful to do Sharon's home going on Sunday. It was the most wonderful thing. Were y'all here? Some of y'all were here. It was the most beautiful, awesome. I'll tell you, it was the easiest memorial service I have ever in all of my 20 years of ministry ever performed. It was awesome, awesome, awesome. Because it was, we were celebrating. She was not dead. Sharon's not dead. Because she was born twice. 
So if you're born once, you die twice. If you're born twice, you die once. Every single person in this room has had a Genesis. But not every person in this room has had an Exodus. Because Exodus means to exit. Exodus means to come out of the world. And Exodus means to come out of the world and to begin to live for God as you're heading toward Canaan. And I'd encourage you tonight, if you've never had an exodus, you need to have an exodus. You need to be born again. You need to give your life to Jesus Christ and be born twice. Because when Jesus says you must, hey, that word must in the Greek language, it means must. (laughs) Amen. That was deep. It means must. You, it means you have to be. There's no negotiating. You have to be born again. Have an exodus. Come out of the world and live for Jesus. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccary.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light. Let me be a salt.